Well, good morning, church family. It's good to be with each one of you this morning and to have the privilege and the opportunity to share in God's Word with you this morning. Uh, And also be able to have that opportunity and privilege, Lord willing, next week. So uh, I'm excited to be able to bring God's Word to you this morning. Let's pray together and ask Him to profit our time, if you would pray with me. Father in heaven, we come to you now ready to hear from you. God, would you orient our hearts and incline our ears to be ready to receive from you your word. Give us hearts to believe. Give us eyes to see. Give us affections that would be drawn out and towards you. God, would you profit our time so that we would see Christ more clearly and more clearly reflect him in this world. We pray that you would do this by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what kinds of messages do you listen to? I'm not necessarily talking about the latest voicemail on your phone or the voice text that you may have gotten from your friend. But I'm asking, whose counsel are you hearing and believing? What messages are you buying? The latest TV series that you watched, what did it tell you about truth and goodness and beauty? Your podcast lineup, the people you follow on Twitter, what's the vision of the good life that they're selling you? the news outlets you frequent, the influencers you listen to, the friends you surround yourself with, the most recent book you read? How are they telling you to view the world around you? And what kind of counsel are they giving you? You should look this way. The good life is found here. Your house isn't clean enough, big enough, nice enough. Be the authentic you. You should have more in your bank account. You should really just trust your heart. If you only had this car, that degree, that relationship, this job, you are the most important person in your life. Do any of those sound familiar? 
know, the typical person hears 20 to 30,000 words on average a day, and none of them are neutral. We choose to surround ourselves with many of the words that we hear, and they all affect us. They shape and guide and mold our hearts, whether or not we realize it. The messages we choose to listen to will shape our hearts. So what kind of messages are you listening to? Well, that's the question that the Proverbs asks uh, that we come to this morning. This morning we pick back up in the book of Proverbs, and if you would turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4, that's where we'll be this morning. You can find that on page 530 of the Pew Bible that's there in front of you. We'll be in Proverbs chapter 4. The, the book, as you may remember, is written by King Solomon, the king of Israel, the son of David. And Solomon begins his book with this series of ten different appeals to his sons. They're heartfelt and earnest words of encouragement, as, as well as warning about the way of wisdom and the way of folly. So, so Solomon, perfectly aware of the, the onslaught of messages that his son would face in life, calls his son to, to hear and to heed God's Word as taught to him by him as his father. We remember also that the nation of Israel was, was rescued by God out of the land of Egypt to be a people for his own possession. And, and now that Israel was being called to, to belong to God, to belong to God as a holy God, they also were called to walk in holiness. So God graciously gave the, the nation of Israel His law to tell Him what He was like. So He gives Him His law through Moses at Sinai. And then the people of Israel and the king of Israel were to pass on these stories of salvation and these words of wisdom, and primarily to pass them down to their children. Well, in our passage this morning, we get a glimpse into all of this, Solomon's instruction for his own sons, and he is continuing to fill out this picture for us of, of what it means to live wisely, to walk wisely to walk with God's wisdom. We find ourselves in the seventh appeal this morning. So Proverbs chapter 4, picking up in verse 20. We'll read all the way through 27 here together. Solomon writes, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance. 
for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech. Put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward. Your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, and then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Well, if you could boil this passage down into one main idea, I think it would go something like this. Guard your heart above all else and in every way. Guard your heart above all else and in every way. We're going to take that in two parts this morning. First is the motivation to guard your heart. And then secondly, the methods to guard your heart. So firstly, the motivation to guard your heart. If you look with me at verse 23 again, we'll come back to the first three in a bit, but we're going to start with verse 23 because this, I think, is where the emphasis of this passage lies. King Solomon, he gives this series of urges telling his son to hear his words in the first three verses, but then he climaxes with this call. He says, keep your heart with all vigilance because it's there that flow the springs of life. Well, if we want to find any kind of motivation to guard our heart this morning, we need to ask in the first place, what what exactly are we guarding? When Solomon says to guard your heart, what, what does he mean when he tells us and talks about the heart? You know, in today's typical use of the word, people will often substitute heart with something like emotion. You know, you might say about a decision you made flippantly and later regretted, you know, I wasn't thinking. I made that decision with my heart. But that's not really the way the word heart is used in the Bible. And in fact, there's a lot of talk about the heart in the Bible and its importance to our walk with God. It's, it's not just a book of Proverbs thing. It's not just a New Testament thing. It's a whole Bible thing. The, the heart, according to the Bible, is monumentally important. Well, the heart, as talked about in the Bible, it refers to the innermost being of a person. It's not simply speaking to what somebody does or the emotions that a person might have, but, but when the authors of the Bible talk about the heart, they're getting down to why did that person do the thing that they did? According to the Bible, the heart is it's the central command center for everything that we do in our life. It's what guides our true motivations. Our, our heart, it's the values and the beliefs that hold us to the core. What we prize and what we treasure most. 
This is why Jesus himself said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, so our heart, it's far more than an emotion. What's in our heart is what we most value and love. As one theologian puts it, it's the seat of the affections. Now, to get to the heart, you have to address the mind. And the heart will ultimately show itself in emotions. But the heart isn't the same thing as emotion. And the heart isn't void of thinking. The heart, then, is the very core, the ultimate motivational structures of one's life. Or as Solomon poetically puts it here, from the heart flow the springs of life. So everything we think and say and do in one way or another proceeds from our heart. Your internal and external dialogue comes from your heart. What you give your time and your energy to, that springs from your heart. The voices you choose to listen to and the ones that you disregard, that springs from your heart. What you choose to spend your time and money on, that springs from your heart. Once we start to understand the true meaning of what the heart really is, well, that's when this priority of guarding our heart becomes crystal clear. The, the command here to keep your heart with all vigilance because it's so valuable. We're, we're called to keep it above all else, as some translations would render it. Well, how have you been doing at guarding your own heart recently? Is that a primary concern? When your sink is overflowing with dirty dishes and the family schedule's full, does your heart stay a top priority? When you need to work overtime and you don't know how the budget's going to work this month, do you still give primary attention to your heart? When you feel like you've been sinned against and you are absolutely certain the other person is in the wrong, do you remember to keep your own heart with vigilance? Because here's the deal, y'all. Our hearts, while valuable, are also vulnerable. We are so prone to reprioritize outward appearances over inward realities. How does this happen? Have you ever been on the verge of snapping because you're trying to get your house ready for church friends to come over? but you're ridden with angst because you don't want them to see your place the way that it is. 
Maybe you're like me. You're tempted to prioritize promptness so much so that you snap at your family trying to get out the door. You get preoccupied with the ways you think somebody else wronged you in a conflict. And you start to ignore the fact that you're harboring bitterness and resentment in your heart. You know, since getting to three young kids, there's no shortage of work for us to do in the house. Housekeeping is always happening. You turn your back for a second, you've got a pile of laundry to fold, you've got weird smells coming from the dishes, and all the wipes have just suddenly vanished. Housework and heartwork are similar in a way. There's always work to be done, and if you turn your back on your heart, Sin easily creeps in. Spiritual filth starts to accumulate. Bad habits start to take over. External as well as internal housekeeping requires constant, vigilant work. You know, I've heard it said that nobody drifts towards holiness. And so it is with keeping our hearts. Your heart doesn't, doesn't just drift towards Christ-likeness. It doesn't work like that. Your heart needs to be plowed with the Word of God. It needs to be tilled with corporate prayer. It needs to be cultivated by confessing sin. It needs to be watered with fresh gospel community. It needs to be fertilized with the preached Word of God being pressed into it. And then, by God's grace and God's help and God's Spirit, that's when fruit starts to emerge. You see, while the Bible talks about the condition of our heart as one of the most important things about us spiritually, well, the Scriptures are also clear that our hearts are not naturally good. We were made to have good hearts, but when our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled in the garden, sin corrupted everything. You know, it's, it's easy to think about how everything out there in this world is corrupt. It's easy to see that. But we what we don't often take the time to see is the corruption that is inside. Think about how radical that answer is for a moment. That what's gone wrong in this world is sin. And that sin comes out of your heart. You're not going to find that message anywhere else. But once we get that answer right, y'all, it frees us to find the true solution. It, It frees us because if the problem is internal 
that means I'm not going to find my solution in here. If, if the problem is internal, the solution is outside of me. It's not inside of me anywhere. And, and in fact, according to the Word of God, praise God, according to the Word of God, the solution to our problem is not found inside of us. It's found outside of us in the good news of Jesus Christ. He was the one who put on flesh because it was His heart who had the will to do what His Father asked. He was the one whose heart was always pure, even though He was tempted like we are. It was Him whose heart remained steadfast, resolved to obey even though it meant that He would suffer and die on the cross in the place of sinners like you and me. It was His heart that began beating three days later because death could not hold a perfect man. The powerful working of God raised His Son, and it's that same resurrection power that Christ now gives to His people, to those who say, I'm not good enough. My heart's not good. I know that I don't have a clean heart, and God, cleanse me, please. And it's that resurrection power that Jesus gives to His people, and He gives them new hearts, our dead, stony, cold, unresponsive, sinfully depraved hearts are now given new life. He gives a new heart, and now that heart shows itself in faith and in repentance. And we walk now, we're sensitive to God's commands. No longer do we love sin, but we love God. Sure, we, we falter, we fail, we get drawn by the wrong things at times, but it's those new hearts that we then now are sensitive to God's Word. We have a resolve to obey. For all those who are in Christ, they are new creations. The old has passed away and the new has come. God's Spirit lives in us, and the Holy Spirit gives us holy loves, holy desires. Well, let me ask you, do you know that you have a new heart because the Holy Spirit has changed you? That, my friends, is the difference between name-only Christianity and true Christianity. True Christianity flows out of a changed and transformed heart by the power of Jesus. Name only Christianity, it knows Jesus kind of like you know a Facebook friend. Sure, you like what he says, you know from a distance. You're familiar with where that person goes and what they do. But there's no relationship that truly changes you. You need to know 
Jesus, to follow Jesus, to hear His words, and to be changed by Him. Well, once we understand the the value of our heart and how vulnerable it is, that's where we find the motivation to guard our heart above all else. And yet, a resolve to guard one's heart above all else is not enough. We need more than simply this strengthened resolve if we're going to walk in the path of wisdom faithfully. It would be like if you woke up one day and you wanted to be a doctor. That's great. A desire to be a doctor is a really good thing. But the resolve alone is not going to get you there. You need to be trained. You need to know how to be a doctor. Well, it's the same with guarding our hearts. Resolve is good, but we need to know how. How do we guard our hearts? How do we grow as Christians? Number two, the methods to guarding your heart. The methods to guard your heart. Look back with me at verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. When we go back to the beginning of our passage, Solomon is calling his son in a number of different ways to hear his words, to to hold on to his words, to, to hide his words in his heart. Now, when he explains why, I don't know about you, but this was a little surprising to me. Think about a father and mother today saying to their kids, hey, here's why you need to listen to me. My words are life and healing. I don't know if that strikes you as a bit overconfident, but it did me at first. But what we need to remember here is that Solomon is is not just spouting off a bunch of his own original ideas. Instead, what Solomon is doing is he's taking the Word of God and he's thinking about how does this apply to every area of life And then he's giving his son practical instruction, shoe-leather wisdom, everyday life understanding of how he can live as a godly man. So, So these appeals by Solomon to his son are all grounded in the Word of God itself. That's why Solomon can say here, my words are life and healing insofar as they capture and convey and are consistent with the Word of God itself. And so he tells his son, pay attention, listen up. And and notice all of the senses that he enlists here. You know, he, he doesn't just say, put your listening ears on. Well, he also says, keep your eyes on my words. He's going to say, press those words into where? Your heart. There it is again. 
In other words, drawing on what we know about the heart earlier, press my word, keep my word, more specifically, keep God's word in the deep innermost being of your person. According to Solomon in this passage, God's word isn't something that you merely hold on to. Ultimately, it's what should hold on to you. It ought to control you from the inside out. And and this is the first way that we guard our heart. We store God's life-giving words in our heart. Well, why start here? Well, think about it. You're drawing on the experience of housekeeping earlier. You know, when mud gets tracked through your house and kids start drawing on your walls and milk starts spilling on the carpet and you're waking up in the middle of the night to clean up all sorts of filthy stuff. Well, you can't just clean all that stuff up with water. Why not? Well, it just doesn't work. You can't clean that stuff up with water. You've got to use something that will work. Well, it's the same with tending your heart. What can clean it? Well, nothing you can will or muster. Nothing you can buy or force. In every circumstance, your ability to direct your heart depends on God's Spirit and God's Word. The the watery rag of willpower and self-determination doesn't give you the power that you need for growing in holiness. The the wet towel of deciding that you're going to turn over a new leaf trying harder, it doesn't stand a chance against ingrained sinful tendencies. You need God's Word in full strength. And you need God's Spirit to give you the power. And so we pray, God, give me help by Your Spirit to put to death the ways of the flesh. But this call also of of being attentive, of of keeping my words before your eyes, keeping them in your heart, it conveys more than a passive reading, doesn't it? There's this activeness in the way that Solomon calls his son to ingest the word. And and here's where I want to suggest that one of the best ways for us to ensure that the Word of God is kept in our hearts is by meditating on and memorizing the Word of God. Meditating on and memorizing His Word. Now, I'm not sure if you've found this, but this has happened to me plenty of times before, where in my devotional readings... It almost just feels like the Word of God kind of passes through you like water through a pipe. You sit down, you read, the day goes on, and if somebody were to ask you, what did you read this morning? 
like uh, the Bible. And that's all you got. Well, here's something that you can try. After you read a passage of Scripture, just pick one verse. You can write it down on a card or, or try to memorize it there. And, and you don't have to get it perfect, but write it down, keep it in your pocket on a card, and look at it through the day. That's how you can keep the Word literally in front of your eyes. And, and y'all, it's really through our efforts of attempting to memorize snippets of Scripture that through meditation, the Word of God gets pushed deeper into our hearts. You, you need the Word of God to steep in your heart. You know, how do you drink tea? Well, you don't just get a cup of hot water and dip the tea bag in real quick and pull it out and say, oh, I'm drinking tea. That's not tea, right? Well, how then do we have God's Word change the way that we look at life? Well, God's Word has to steep in our hearts. It's got to color the way that you see life. It's got to add flavor to the way that you see life. And that happens over time. You need to sit before the Word. Are you struggling to have your heart warm towards the Lord and His Word? Well, meditating and memorizing God's Word can actually help you in that. You know, when you come inside on a snowy day, and I know it doesn't snow much here in Charlotte, but pretend that it does. You come inside on a snowy day, and what do you need to do to get warm? Well, you've got to go sit by the fire. But I'll tell you what you don't do. You don't walk past the fire into the other room and complain that the fire didn't warm you. Right? You, you come in and you plop yourself down and you take the clothes off and you sit and you wait and you let the fire do what the fire was meant to do. But that happens over time. Sitting before it, lingering by it, you've got to give it time. But soon enough, your fingers warm up. And after time enough, you're warm to your bones, aren't you? Well, so it is with the Word. The more we keep it before our eyes, the more we give it our attention, the more we hold fast to the Word and not let them escape from our sight, the more they will enter your heart and stay there. Well, how else do we do this? Well, you're doing it right now. You're here because, at least I think, you want to hear God's Word preached and taught. You want to get your heart full with His Word and with His promises. You want to depend upon His grace more. And y'all, if you are here on Sunday, that actually positions you to do this well the rest of the week with one another. You have a springboard for conversations with one another now. You know, how did the sermon help you this week? You know, can you pray for me? I really want to grow in keeping God's Word in my heart. It could be as simple as a text chain with a couple friends where you send 
passages of Scripture that you read that morning and say, I'm praying this for you today. Ask each other, do you want to read the passage that we're going to hear preached on Sunday together? As we think about guarding our hearts above all else, the the Word of God is one of the most powerful weapons we have in the arsenal. But that's not the only way that Solomon tells us to guard our hearts here. Secondly, verse 24. Verse 24. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. You know, it's interesting that right after telling us to guard our heart above all else, immediately afterwards Solomon says, watch how you talk. You know, you might hear that. And you might think, man, like, I was really resonating with Solomon there. He's really talking my language. Like, we are focusing on the heart. But then all of a sudden, he just kind of gets rules-oriented and legalistic. He's talking about how we talk. Like, isn't the heart really the only thing that matters? Well, the heart isn't the only thing that matters because it's not the only thing that's mentioned. When it comes to guarding our walk with the Lord, keeping the heart is our priority, but it's not the only thing that we watch. And and truthfully, watching how we talk is a way that we guard our heart. After all, it was Jesus who said that it's out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We've all heard it. Many of us have probably said it. In the heat of conflict, we say something hurtful, and then we follow it up with, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. But according to Jesus, most of the time, we actually did mean it. And it's actually better to own that and take responsibility for the words that we just said and ask for forgiveness from the Lord and from the person that we wronged. Do you want to know what's in your heart? Well, think about what you say to others. What topics do you frequent? What subjects do you find yourself coming back to? And is there something that needs to change about that? Y'all, and the heart of this command is is that we don't just merely stay away from curse words. We don't just merely avoid crude humor. But in addition, we embrace the flip side of this. We would be those who, as, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, that we would speak words that build up, that fit the occasion, that give grace to those who hear. So before we speak, that's a great filter to run your words through. Does this build up? Does this fit the occasion? Am I aiming to give grace with these words? Well, why does this matter? Why does this matter so much? Because we worship a God who speaks. 
Our speaking God ministers to us with life-giving, grace-giving, time-appropriate, edifying words. And we want to be like Him. We want to speak in a godly manner, in a God-like way. And so we watch how we speak because it affects our hearts. It's, it's kind of like if you want to get in good shape. You know, there's things that you need to start doing, and then there's things that you need to stop doing, right? You need to put certain things into your life. Regular exercise, running, strength and conditioning, good sleep. But then you also need to take out other things in your life, right? The, the late night snacks and sweets, the highly processed foods, the sugary drinks, Getting in shape isn't this sort of either-or approach. It's a both-and approach. Well, it's the same thing with our spiritual growth. Yes, we prioritize the heart, but the heart isn't the only thing that matters. We, we pay attention to what we put on as well as what we put off. So we've seen thus far that we got our heart by keeping God's Word in our heart, and by watching our tongue. And third, and the last way that we keep our heart, according to this passage, is that we fix our gaze and consider our path. We fix our gaze and consider our path. Verse 25, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in bad habits, in sinful attitudes, not necessarily because we have these just outright devious thoughts or wicked intentions, but we've lost sight of where we're going. We forgot our mission. We've forgotten our calling. We've grown sluggish or tired or distracted. You know, it's kind of like when you're on the highway and you see a wreck on the side of the road as you're driving. You want to look, but if you do, soon enough, as soon as you look back, you realize you're not in the lane that you were in anymore, right? When you look where your eyes go, that tends to be kind of where your body is oriented towards. For all my lawn mowing people out there, how do you mow the straightest line? It's not looking down. You fix a spot ahead of you and you walk to the spot, right? You keep your gaze fixed ahead. Well, the rider's making the same point here. The way we finish the race is by fixing our gaze. The, the way to get to the prize is to set the eyes. Look ahead. Look in front of you. Keep the hope of Christ before you. Consider the one who went before us. As the author of Hebrews put it, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles. 
Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and has sat down now at the right hand of the throne of God on high. How did Jesus walk his path? How did Jesus remain steadfast as he traveled the road to Calvary? As he stared death in the face? As he endured the wrath of God in full measure for us? He looked to the joy that was set before him. For the joy that set before him, he endured the cross. And you guys, for the joy that set before us, we can endure as well. For the joy set before us, we can lay aside the weights that slow us down. For the joy that set before us, we can push off and put out the sin that so easily entangles us. Because we know that when our path ends, we will see him. We'll see him. We will then be with him, and we will be like him. And that will be enough. May he give us grace to travel that path. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would give us the grace, give us the strength that we need for the path in front of us. Father, give us the heart that we need to endure, to run with endurance the race that's before us. Lord, may we not get distracted And Lord, when we grow weary, would we come to your word for help? And God, at the end of the path, would we be able to say, yet not I, but through your Son, Christ, in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.